contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Hi, this is Stone. This is Jeff, and we're from Pearl Jam. Uh, and you're watching 120 Minutes. Do you know you can say penis on TV? And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossip! Fucking camera in the truck. Now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, the definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. And we are in the first week of July here. We just finished off Fourth of July, everybody. We just finished off the holiday, and hopefully, you guys had a great holiday. As this holiday is going on, we got Pearl Jam over in Europe. And guess what they're doing in Europe the last couple days? They are playing festival shows. That's right. And this next month, and it, it's not like we're lightening our load at all because some of these shows that we're doing are pretty heavy and pretty big deal kind of shows. Today we're lightening our load because it was the holiday weekend and we just needed something kind of short and, and fun and quick to do and we had this as a Patreon request anyway. So we are going to do not the first of the Lollapalooza 1992 shows, but the first bootleg that we have from the Lollapalooza 1992 shows. We'll, we can get into that in a sec, but let's introduce everybody. Randy Sobel is over here. John Farrar is over there. Hello, hello. This is uh, nice and quick, right? We won't be two hours on this recording, I don't think. Yeah, but it. I want to start off, you know, I'd, I was listening to this, and it kind of felt like a 2022 show that we're covering right now because there's all these 10 songs. And I'm like, hey, when did the show happen? Is this from last week? Right. Um, yeah. It's even flow first, then why go? Yeah. yeah. So uh-huh. like, felt like something we just heard. Look, I wasn't really thinking in that aspect, but yeah, you're right. I think the night before this, because this is the second night of the two, as I kind of said, but the night before this, State of Love and Trust opened the show. And I think yeah. that... When the request was made by Amy Wynn, our patron, she said this one, the 18th show, and I would have loved to talk about how State of Love and Trust would be as an opener, because I don't think they did it that often. However, we're sitting here with the non-rare opener, and, and the set is exactly how you think it is. It's 8 off of 10, and they leave off, what, release? and garden and oceans and yep. that's exactly what you expect from this era so no surprises hopefully you know maybe one day that bootleg from the 18th will pop up but uh you never know 
What did pop up, though, I think we need to mention it, is the set list from the 18th. If you guys remember a couple months ago, we did this article on liveonfourlegs.com, which is obviously still up. You can find it in the archives over there, where we talked to Alex Sink, who has collected all of these set lists from all different eras, mostly 1992 and a little bit in 1993 as well. I think he even he the Florentine Gardens one from 1991, so he's going way back. And he had this set list. I don't think it's in his possession, but I think that this was a picture that was sent to him. And I'm talking about the 18th and not the 19th. So at least we have some sort of remnant from that day. Yeah, that's interesting. And like, it's another one that, you know, just adds another one to all these songs. It's, you know, besides the State of Love and Trust opener, it's a lot of the same stuff. Obviously, they weren't digging deep into the catalog for these Lal Blues shows. They were going on at probably 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and they had their 30, 35 minutes, and that that's what you got. You're essentially right. And it's funny because you have to think of where they were at the time and when they got booked on Lollapalooza, like they might have gotten booked on Lollapalooza around that same time that the Holland shows were going on, that yeah, they went spring. back to yeah. Unplugged. And I don't think that Perry or anybody else expected them to be in this higher state, like kind of like a band that everybody's going to clamor for at this point. And that's why on the bill, the only band that they're playing above is Lush. They're, you know, we, they, we got Jesus Mary Chain before them. We got Ice Cube. We got uh, obviously the Chili Peppers and Soundgarden and Ministry. But Pearl Jam is, is at this time taking a, a backseat to all of them when, look, if this festival were to happen now, you could say that Pearl Jam might usurp the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Even though, yeah. look, I think the Chili Peppers have a little bit more of the common music fan gravitational pull to them. But I think everybody understands how they've epic had, they've and had legendary some bigger the radio hits. I think they, that's the difference. Yeah. Right, right. I think that maybe in, in a sense, like Chili Peppers have become a, a little bit more of a joke since then. And Pearl Jam has kind of looked at as like the modern day pioneers that like the stones and zeppelin or something were so no nobody's calling the chili peppers the elder statesmen right now they 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 have not graduated into that area no it's tough to see that when you see anthony kiedis and his shirt off and his weird mustache that he's got going you're like did you just get out of jail and decided that the iggy pop look was okay you know it's weird, but look, respect to them and respect to John Frashani, who is touring with them again. And obviously that leads to Josh Klinghoffer being in, in our band now. So everything worked out pretty well. And this episode, as I mentioned before, was requested by Amy Wynn. And she had her own profile episode on Patreon this past week as well. I believe we'll probably be airing after this episode gets aired. So you'll be able to kind of hear about her interesting life with Pearl Jam and and very unique and everybody's story is unique to them but uh, this one was a good one for sure and she was at the first show that we talked about the show on the 18th and not a lot of memory there but it leads to some good things coming a little later so why don't we hear from Amy right here this is taken from her Horizon Leg profile on Patreon you know I was going with a friend who's really into um, rap and hip-hop and we had different musical tastes um, I definitely had heard of Pearl Jam and wanted to 
wanted to see them, but we were way the heck. We were like literally at the fence sitting on the grass on a picnic blanket. And I remember it being hot and I, you know, if I'm not up front, I tend to get distracted. It's like at baseball games, I watch everybody in the stands and enjoy my hot dog and I have no idea what's going on with the game. So, you know, it was way back there and I, you know, I, I know that we were there when they were playing, but you know, it was 30 years ago. <laughs> it was a long time oh, ago. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember the details of them playing. I, I, I remember, um, which sounds terrible. I know, I, and I've been trying to figure out like when, when I started listening to them, I, I know viscerally, I just don't know what, you know, what time of year this was, but I know, you know, I was in grad school. I know, um, you know, I got there, it, you know, for me, it was a cassette cause I had left my, my, uh, record player back in Pennsylvania and, um, I picked up the cassette pretty shortly, shortly after it came out. Um, I remember watching the hunger strike video on MTV with my roommate. I remember, you know, when the singles came out on the radio, I just don't know when those things happened relative to, um, Lollapalooza. Uh, not too far after, if I'm not mistaken, I think that hunger strike was like around July or August. And then singles, I think was like September ish. Yeah. yeah, earlier, late September. I can't remember. I remember. I remember singles because I remember scooting down to the UC theater with with David to see singles, and that was totally awesome. And that that with Hunger Strike and having seen them though very you know very far in the distance at Lollapalooza, you know, it was like man, these guys are insane. But I didn't know anybody else that was you know, into the same kind of music that I was. Um, a lot of my friends in school were listening to like either folk music or, I mean, I was listening to rap as well, but um, just, you know, I didn't know anybody was listening to, to rock, um, which is weird. <laughs> so what was it that you went for there? Was it Chili Peppers? Was it uh, Soundgarden? What what was your prime band that you wanted to see that, that those days, that day? Yeah. For me, it was Chili Peppers. I really wanted to see them, and and I love uh, Jane's Addiction, and so, you know, I missed, I didn't go to the first Lollapalooza, but, you know, after hearing all the scuttlebutt about the first one and just loving Jane's Addiction and, and Red Hot Chili Peppers, I was like, I gotta see these guys, so, so we made our way over. It was a lot of fun. It was an awesome day. It was hot. The stage was very far away, but it was, it was very cool. All right. Thank you so much, Amy. That was great. It was great talking to you and great friend as well. Always interested in the show and always texting me things like asking me questions of what she just listened to on the podcast. And it's just great to hear that kind of interaction. And for anybody else that kind of thinks the same thing, always open, always open up to that. So once again, Amy, be great. Be on the lookout for her profile episode coming soon. That'll be great. So we get some video of a sound check here that's on YouTube. You should probably go look for it. It has the date of 717, so that'll be probably how you find it. It's a 16-minute video of sound checking Evenflow and then a pretty long interview with Jeff and Stone, which has a lot of interesting points to take out of it. The soundcheck song, obviously, I said was even flow, and it kind of starts off from the crowd shot. You see Jeff just playing in the stands. He's he's wireless here, and he's playing in the stands, and he's just sort of watching the band from afar, which I thought was really he's, cool. He's checking out to see how it sounds out there. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I think that Jeff, that is definitely something that Jeff has been worried and, and interested about since day one. And I think that you hear that from him a lot. Well, bass is always tough because you have to fight through all the guitars. Like the guitars, it, it's at a frequency where you're going to be able to hear it pretty much no matter what. But if the bass doesn't sound good, like if it's too loud, it's going to overpower everything. If it's not loud enough, it's not going to sound good. Like bass players have to be really careful about where they are in the mix and how it sounds and what they're like. It's a little bit different than, than the guitar players. Yeah, and honestly, that's a great point because a few days ago I went to see the Black Crows. The guitars on the Black Crows were so heavy in the mix. And obviously it's a guitar-heavy band where, of course, you're, that's the sound that you're looking for. But like Chris Robinson was was drowned out a little bit. The bass, I don't even remember hearing anything from the bass. I heard Rich the whole entire time, and he was overpowering just about everyone. The first maybe two songs... The only thing that I heard from the drums were the snare and the hi-hat, and that was it. Everything else got yeah. drowned out. So, yeah, it's it's super important for a bass player to kind of know what the mix is like and know how they're going to be sounding. It's very important. I think that you're absolutely right that Jeff has a reason to be doing that more than anybody else does. And look, hey, it's even flow. Mike has a cool solo in it. He's wearing some jorts. Ed's not on stage during this, or he's on a side stage. At least he's not singing. We haven't seen. And we don't get too much out of it, at least that, that I saw. That's not the interesting part about this. The interesting part about it is that Stone and Jeff get interviewed for 120 minutes on MTV. And there's just so many talking points here from stories that I don't think I knew. The way that Jeff and Stone met. That I don't think I knew that story at all. Actually, we met at this punk rock club at the Metropolis in Seattle, and he just like gave me a really hard time. Like at that point, like I had this much sense of humor, like very little sense of humor. And him and his buddy of his, Chris, were like like making fun of like they used to call me Jeff Diction because I was in this band called Deranged Diction. And... Squatney, actually, 1957. <laughs> we grew up together. What was that first song we learned? Like my generation, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're talking about 1982, 1983. Yeah. And like Jeff was the punk rock guy who was in the hardcore band, and Stone was not that. They weren't best friends from the very beginning, but it starts off actually with Jeff talking about Jack Irons, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. About, about how and... they, he kind of hooked everything, hooked them up with Ed. And we, you know, he says that, oh, you know, the tape actually had eight songs on it. And Ed, you know, picked those three to record vocals on and send back. So I feel like that's something that we knew. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like that's something that we knew, but kind of irrelevant to the Mamasan story in a way, because it was about those three. It's not like he went and recorded other ones and then they just got ignored or something like that. But it's interesting to know that he went up to Seattle, probably listening to the other ones with lyrics and ideas in mind for them. So I think that might be getting left out of the equation. But the other thing that I thought was interesting that they talked about and and kind of relevant to now is about touring. And they even seemed like at that time, like they wanted to be on the road. They wanted to be playing, but it seemed like they were concerned about getting depressed on the road, being so far away from home and like feeling lonely and alone. And it seemed like, the way that Jeff was talking about this is that 
if they weren't already booked on Lollapalooza, they wouldn't have wanted to go and do another tour. They would have wanted to just kind of lay back in Seattle, record another record, and then that was it. We would have had verses like a couple months earlier than we did. I found that really interesting. Yeah, I mean, he says they had basically been on the road for 10 months straight. They were young and hungry, and like, that's what you do. You have to go pay your dues on the road, and they did that. And it wasn't soon after this that they really slowed down, starting in 93, 94. They really slowed down the touring, and they never really went back to playing those 70, 80, 90 shows a year like they they did the first couple of years. Yeah, and you have to kind of think of, and especially in Jeff's mind, like what these shows are following up on. I believe they're following up on the Ross Killed show where Jeff got into a fight with a security guard because his security guard didn't realize that Jeff was in the band and then Eric Johnson kind of had to step in. Like, it's just a a wild story. They had some of their stuff stolen, I think, in one of those shows. That was Stockholm, yeah. Yeah. That was, I think, the the show before the Ross Killed show. I saved the best for last in this. I don't... Yeah, right. Uh, just all of a sudden, he he's like, can we say penis on TV? And he just gets infatuated by the idea that well, he could They're talking about Jim Rose. They're talking oh, that's about right. And they Jim were talking Rose about circus. how he was uh, holding, Lift, what, like bricks on blocks. cinder yeah. blocks. Right. Uh, yeah. And and then Stone's like, wait, we can actually say that? Because Eddie was like eyes glue like he was a third grader or something like that. So they ran through a couple of promos where they're just like, hey, this is Jeff and this is Stone. And you're watching 120 minutes. And then he had a couple where where Jeff was like, hey, um, Stone, what is it about the penis? What is it about the penis that you're so interested in? Uh, Well, I don't think it's just penis. I think it's any uh, human body part that's generally covered. Uh, Vagina, anus. All covered parts. Anyway, you're watching MTV. And we thought we'd just fill you in on it was just very funny, and obviously yeah, it's sarcastic. The height of Stone's sarcasm here. Could they go off on penises for about five minutes? Yep, they do, and it's pretty funny for then. It's pretty funny for now too. All They're the twenty-four, twenty-five years right, old. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, it's it's all dick and fart jokes, of course. And this will come back up a little bit in the set somewhere, but they ended up kind of doing an intro i don't know if it was like the debut for the jeremy video but they say and this is our brand new video for for jeremy and they kind of intro that and i'm sure it got played on 120 minutes and i think it was five days after the show that the debut of the video happened august august 1st right well, I, I had read, and maybe that it's the single, but yeah, I've okay. always gotten my date confused with this. Five Horizons says that it was July 22nd, and th- it's maybe very that possible. Maybe that was 120 minutes premiere or something. Right. They... But also, that could just be that the single came out that day. Right. Yeah, I've but, heard I mean, that, so many different the beginning, things about like, that. You know, you got to kind of separate the early years into like pre-Jeremy video and post-Jeremy video, and this is one of the last pre-Jeremy video show, so that video had not blown up yet, it had not been out yet, that that changed their whole trajectory. It just became huge. If that video had come out before this Lobo tour, they would not have been playing at, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. No, that's for sure. I don't know if you caught this within one of the many promos that they did for that, 
But I think Stone says something like, oh, it's uh, it's not our, our full cut. It's not our director's cut that you'll be seeing. He's kind of alluding to, oh, there, there was something else. And yeah, I think yeah. I think the producer kind of said, eh, we're not going to go with that one. <laughs> yeah, because they're talking about they cut the, the scene where he has the gun, the gun. in his mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Which I, I think, what, came out like four or five years ago? Yep. So, all right. Let's get into the set list here. Stand up so we can all pretend that there's no seats, even flow hits. And yeah, it, look, the recording is going to be pretty much what you expect for 1992. You have to turn it all the way up just to hear stuff and you can't hear the bass. You can only hear a little certain aspects of everything else that's going on. You can't really hear the crowd too well. So what I got out of even flow was definitely two things like Dave just booming presence right from the get-go and then 1992 solos from Mike it's not like a high octane showstopper like it would be way way later where he'll actually play that solo for like five six minutes but you get 45 seconds in or so he gets the, like that screech kind of sound and and it's classic Mike right from the start Hey, I'll even go a different way and say it's that early stone groove on it. Like it starts out, the first thing you're like, oh, this is so slow compared to, you know, some of the, you know, we've been listening to them play it in Europe and on the West Coast, like they've been playing it a lot, obviously. We're used to hearing it that way. When you go back and listen to these early versions, it just sounds like it's plotting. But it's really just that stone groove that just moves and shakes and like snakes around. And it's a, it's a good way to start off the Lollapalooza Blues show. It's going to get everybody moving. Yeah, for sure. And two o'clock in the afternoon, like if you're up on everything, if you're like paying attention to Unplugged that's happened and you have 10, like this is a dream come true. Like you get to see them early in the set. So they're going to play all of their big ones from 10 here. The next one is going to be Why Go. Ed starts off those hey chants like before the drums even kick in on this. I like that a lot. That was very, very good. actually probably my favorite performance from this night i was sort of thinking that too there's one it, later it's in the really good. very good as well but it is, yeah, yeah this was great why go gets to a really good like there's that surge in it when they hit the chorus where it really you can tell they're really feeding off the crowd and you know again we don't have video for this one but i can just see them just bouncing all over the place just going crazy I feel like we've said that a lot in the last couple weeks, and just a spoiler for everybody, if you don't remember what we ended 
the last show by teeing up this little month of festivals by saying next week we will have video for and that will be really exciting to go through all that video so yes definitely we won't be saying it then the, the trend the streak it wasn't a 15 night opener streak or anything like that but the streak will end finally I think that look Mike again for me was the star in this and I think like right from the very early on you know as that kind of drum intro and the bass kind of kick in like Mike's doing some like background stuff it's just really like he's holding out some notes for a long time it's just really loud and and you can just hear his presence and feel his presence in this and then of course you get to the solo he's like taking it away again even with a bad recording on this you can definitely sense all the energy that's happening and Mike at the time is not running around the stage and he's not pointing out to crowd members or anything like that. He's just kind of hanging back, probably wearing that Stevie Ray Vaughan hat that he's wearing in the Funko Pop that you might have. And, you know, just very much more reserved and, and a little bit shy, but not the way he's playing, that's for sure. He's a monster, and like you know, it always reminds me of that clip from PJ20 with Cornell talking about watching him play on Reach Down, and like the dude's got got some problems. He was definitely working through some stuff, and like like you mentioned, even on Even Flow, it's not like Van Halen Mike. This is more the early like Stevie Ray Vaughan Mike, but he's just like a monster unleashed at these shows. Like they keep him in a cage and then let him out to play and he just destroys everything and then they put him back in the cage for the next show. I think that's an interesting point to make because definitely an even flow, but why go too? Why go felt like a bluesy solo, which I don't think happens nowadays, right? Like at all. Like it's way more arena rock. So yeah. Great performance from this. And yeah, that one will probably get brought back in some capacity, whatever we end up doing with this show at the end. But Jeremy comes up next, and we mentioned that in the interview they were doing a bunch of promotional spots for introducing the video. I would love to see what the evolution was for just Jeremy during Lollapalooza. Because you can start off here, you can kind of find like around the time that the video came out, and then probably by like late August... And I know this from, and, and in September, the last show in Irvine, I think you get a really, really good reaction for Jeremy, and you get Ed kind of addressing that he likes the song, but he doesn't like to think about somebody committing suicide every day. But it seemed like there's an evolution there that over time, where you can see like the surge from the crowd response whenever they get into that baseline that, that opens that up, and... I would just love to, as much as you can, because, look, there are not a lot of good bootlegs from the 1992 Lollapalooza tour. There are not a lot of bootlegs, period. There's enough, but you got to find a balance somewhere. But I would love to sort of figure out, maybe that's a mini-episode in the future for us, Mm. you know? Yeah, if you could pull it together, because the video was about to premiere. It had already been recorded and done, and the video edit of the song they knew that they had worked that out so it'd be interesting to see like when that starts to pop up and when they would start you know kind of messing around with the structure of it i think about the crowd members there too when they're hearing this and 
I, I'm wondering if like a couple days later or maybe like even a couple weeks later when the video is really being the most talked about music video in America at that point, I wonder if they remember seeing this performance and they're like, oh yeah, okay, I get it now. Because I, I remember seeing that from bands too. Like I remember that, and I can't give you a specific moment, but I remember a band playing a song live and thinking like, hey, that was pretty good. And then a few weeks later, it's all over the radio. Like a young band that's that's kind of where Pearl Jam is here that was opening up for a bigger act. And it's kind of cool to know that you're in on the ground floor of something before it got... Everybody wants to brag about that and say, oh, I knew them when they got big. I knew the song before it became big. But it is a cool aspect to, to kind of think about it in retrospect. Yeah, definitely. Okay, this one is for all the photographers who have to leave right now. The reason why he says this is because that photographers were only allowed to shoot the first three songs. That's still true. If you go is, to a show, really? you'll, you'll see him in the pit for three songs and then they have to leave. Yep. Wow. I don't know how I never recognized that before. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing it at the shows I went to in like 2016 and stuff. Yeah. Is, is that a Pearl Jam rule or is that just an overall uh, any rule? I don't know. That might be a Pearl Jam rule. Hmm. Or it might be just an overall concert rule. Yeah, right. Like, uh, it's kind of understood by everybody that that's Because you don't want them there during the whole show, you know, getting in everybody's way and being a distraction. So they let them have the first three and then they kick them out. Yeah. Huh. I find that interesting because I think most of the best visuals from shows sometimes come from the stuff that they're doing at the end. So I wonder, do they never invite them for like, and not in this situation, but, you know, say, you know, during a live, they wouldn't invite them back out to take pictures of them throwing out tambourines or anything like well, that. that. That's only, that's only when they have, they get to be in the pit right up front, like in front of the GA. Okay. They can, they can still go to like. Right on the sides and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, look, I think that's a facet that I'm going to have to look out for whenever I see concert photos from this point, because that's just super, super interesting. But the dedication to the photographers is deep, and it's got a big Ed scream in the beginning. It's got that 1992 sort of anger and rawness to it. Nice line change in the middle to takes a visit to San Francisco. San Francisco. Powerful moment. Like, uh, you know, it has that little bit of the descent into madness, but it feels more improv than built like it was in 1993 where they really figured out how to make it spiral out of control but look I think that's that kind of evolution for Deep as well again you know not my favorite song but if you're going to get it this is the time to get it so it's kind of holding the spot here as like keeping up that momentum it's it's almost like it's you know holding that even flow spot here where it's the middle part of the set already and they need like a big kind of a showstopper moment because after this you're going to kind of wind down for a couple of songs well i think that isn't alive the even flow spot you think Um, because yeah a little bit but like i even think deep is right before the wave crashes and alive is like the wave crashing so deep has to like keep that energy high and, and get it going it's one of the highest energy ones here
Okay, so every song here now has Ed doing something or saying something in between. You get the first four that were just pretty much straight up and, and playing, but now he's actually addressing the crowd, saying, how does it feel to be out there? Can I ask you a question of which I already know the answer because I was out there before? Isn't this one of the coolest things in the whole world? I got a secret for you guys. Chris Cornell would be really mad if I told you this, but it's his birthday today, so you should all do something special for him. That was probably the best of the lines that I was able to kind of log there, but some of the stuff is very, very hard to hear, especially when he's going to be singing in a minute or two. He says, the one thing about birthdays is that you should be happy every day of your life. Look, bringing up Cornell, and obviously the there's a connection between Cornell and Lollapalooza there as we covered about a month ago with covering that Irvine show from the last show of the, of the tour. We have basically the second show and then the last show of the tour that, that are now off yeah. our plates. So just getting, I wonder, I wonder if they sang happy birthday to him during Soundgarden set. We'll have to find the Soundgarden version of five horizons for that, I suppose, yeah. which I think there is, or there was at some point. Maybe. But. Okay. Getting into a live, you're placing the first single in the middle here. And I think one of the things is that, when you think of all three of their singles that they had at this point, even flow at the very beginning as the opener, Jeremy after Why Go and, and Alive Here, it's it's balancing them out and kind of spreading them out a little bit. And then you'd have like Porch to kind of go all the way to the end and, and Black and Once are kind of the builders to build up to Porch. Yeah, that may, like I said, it's, it's the wave, you know, Alive is the wave crashing. You know, we talked about how Jeremy wasn't the single yet it was coming shortly after this but you know the alive video had been out and it was live so people knew how it sounded and you know saw the the stage dive and all that stuff so yeah you, you put that one here and get everybody going and then you're yeah exactly you're gonna build it back up after it to get to the showstopper at the end yeah it's i mean it's only the eight songs but it's well crafted yeah, for sure. They knew what they were doing by that point. And you can even see it back in 1991 when they were making those sets early on that they had a good idea and good mind for this kind of thing. And, and now we know that they're the absolute masters of it. So I thought that the version itself, like, you know, nothing that strays from most alibes from back then. But I think that Dave was definitely a highlight towards the end as, as it gets faster and faster. He kind of keeps up with it and not just that, but like drives it everybody's just kind of following with him and it sounded really good from the day bay aspect some someone we really haven't talked about in a long time it feels like but yes we did two months ago i suppose ed singing a line of something here it's very difficult to hear him the only line that you can gather from this is god help me that's it rest is pretty unintelligible yep he's probably got nothing better than i do it's like a little bluesy thing that they're doing and he's probably you know not even speaking into the microphone up close it might even be something where he's just like kind of got it down or got it away from himself and just a very short little improv thing yeah not the last one either nope they get into black stone has a little bit of a false start and ed kind of jokes with him saying he can't remember his own song and then this version starts off pretty sparse and it kind of stays that way until really building up for the end and ramping up and then getting into the we belong together tag and all that really has that energy they were feeding a lot off i believe the unplugged version at the time and they were kind of trying all the same tricks obviously not in the same way that that they did it but 
they would have the the surrounded by some kids at Playline that went up an octave higher than obviously the the we 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 belong together. Like they had all that. So you know, from people seeing that on Unplugged and kind of reacting to that and knowing that version, I wonder if they took the whole rest of 1992, which in the way that I think I've heard it on this tour, I believe that it was pretty much predominantly sang like that and arranged like that, but it seemed like they were doing it because they felt good off of the unplugged version and maybe because that was a connection for everybody else that knew of it. And maybe that was the only version that they knew to that point. Definitely. And if you look at the live footsteps page for this, you look at even flow already at 133, alive already at 141, porch already at 137. Black had not yet hit 100. You know, like we said, it was a late bloomer of a song. They didn't do it a lot in 1991. And that MTV Unplugged, I think, brought this song to the forefront of everyone's mind. It was like, so you went to a show and you wanted to hear Black because you had seen that incredible performance of it. And now, you know, it's got more than Jeremy. It's got way more than once. It's almost even with Porch. It's got more than Why Go. And that's why, like, that set this song on a different trajectory. It's another improv, and it feels like these unintelligible lyrics, but it also seems like he's singing, your love is making me higher, and your love is making me crazy. So that's kind of a throw to, what, the Motown song? Yeah, Taking me that, higher and higher. I think it was one of the Marvin Gaye, or Timmy, one of the early, or Temptations, maybe, your, lo- your love is... I seem to... It's like the Ghostbusters song. I can't remember. It, I seem it, to remember a female singer on that, though. Yeah, it's. I think it's Tammy Terrell is, and Marvin Gaye did a bunch of duets back in the day. Hmm. I don't think it's Ain't No Mountain High Enough, but it's around that same time, maybe. Yeah, but it's yeah, definitely it's, Ain't No Mountain. And then he kind of takes it off and, you know, does a little improv off of it. Your love is making me crazy. And then we get a little bit weird. Yeah. Oh, boy. This is kind of weird to recite this now because look at where we are 30 years later and this felt like nothing back then because it just was a joke but now it could be seen as a legitimate threat so hang with us here 
Ed legitimately says, I feel like killing someone. And, and look, I think it's tied into once. It's tied into once and what the idea of once was. And I think that a lot of the once intros at the time had that sort of like, you know, I'm not crazy and, and just sort of like a ramble going on before it. So it makes sense going into it, but obviously nobody recognizes that if you're not part of and know what happened in Pearl Jam history. So he says, I went to this baseball game the other day and George Bush was there. It wasn't the all-star game or anything as big as this, but Bush was right there. And I was thinking, Oh my God, why didn't I bring a gun? Oh, um, yeah. Like this gets even a little bit worse in a way, but yeah, he does, an, he, he does another little improv over, and it, there's actually, you know, the band is kind of like doing a little improv thing. That is their, cool, and, and it feels yeah. sort of like a slasher film kind of thing that they got going. It feels really tense, and now I didn't I didn't realize who he was saying here. I, I was sort of trying to pick out the name here, but he said, I felt better because I knew you would all vote for, and it sounded like Mike Wallace, but that's not the name that I'm thinking like it must have been somebody that was a primary candidate for the the Democrat side that and he didn't say Clinton or anything like that. But I, I honestly don't really remember or know any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But the thing that I do know is that I realized that if I did that, it would mean that Dan Quell would be president for even two weeks and he kinda probably makes a shudder motion for that but you can't say that stuff anymore and ed this is knows that pre-terrorism panic pre-9-11 yeah 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 like that's what a joke was back then especially that we had a situation a year ago where you know what happened you're seeing the news and stuff like that. i don't have to repeat it but they literally a vice president people wanted to kill him and yeah so that's 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 a no-go so once follows all that up, and I think that, look, it's, it's a good lean into that and all that, and I think that this version runs off the angry energy that he was sort of channeling in that very intense version, and it feels like Ed is kind of sh- doing some shrieks, he's kind of screaming a little bit, but I can see him in this definitely going right up to the front, sort of maybe in the crowd or maybe just sort of looking out into the distance or on the floor or something like that. And just that's where he's doing all those screeches and, and screams right there. Like this one feels like he's, he's trying to draw people in with something not very reserved at all. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think it's very similar to deep and like, it's one of the angrier ones that they have in the catalog at this point. Its job is to be that build for Porch, which is going to be next year and last, and just bring the house down. So it, it does that job very well. I thought it was fine. Yep, and that's where we are right now. Ed says this should be a great day. We thought it was only right that we thank Perry Farrell for going to sleep and having an amazing dream when he thought up of this, or maybe he was awake. You don't have to be asleep to be a dreamer. And what better place to start this than this venue in San Francisco? Well, wait, wait, wait hold on. Uh, all I got to say is...
I was I was definitely drawn into that. Like it's been a while since we've gotten a real yeah, like yeah. lively porch like this. Yeah, and again, they're on the timer, so this isn't one that can stretch out to eight or nine minutes and like really get into a jam where you would start to get like tearing and stuff like that. But it's good, and he does, you know, continuing kind of the improv theme of the show. He does kind of throw in a couple of lines there at the end. There's one that's like, "At least we can see you all," and then yeah. I think there's one that's like, "There's a little bit of time to change our time." Mm-hmm. Which is a uh, you know a little bit of it's a nice poster sentiment there. You can you can apply that to, to kind of anything that you want to, but really good version of porch to close it out here. Once they got back into that course and really built it up with all those improvs, especially there's a little bit of change to a little bit of time to change this time, and then getting right into that and and just ending strong on this, like you have to be thinking that those people in the crowd that are initially there for the chili peppers or ministry or whoever they're sort of thinking here like okay my uh, my eye is on you guys and this is before there were any hijinks in porch maybe jumped on a speaker or something like that for a second but there's nothing that we know of that he did and and for anybody that would be there i'm sure they would have remembered that kind of thing but you know this again is evolving off of what happened at Pink Pop and would just get crazier and crazier as this tour went on. And and maybe there is another idea there of the porch evolution of him climbing on things and him doing crazy shit, which I believe there's a really good video about that on YouTube, just showing all of his just crazy stunts. So yeah, if you're yeah. looking for all that, which honestly, it's it's great video, so... You might want to check that out at some point. They say, thanks, good luck. There's so many things going on outside that we really appreciate that you came and watched us. Very good. So what we do on the Patreon episodes, whenever we do a very short set, like a 91, a 92, it's hard to go the three moments. So I think for this, it's just very simple. What's the one moment that stood out from the show? Yeah, you know, I'm tempted to to kind of go with the improvs because that's the kind of thing that is unique to the show. But it, to me, the best performance of the night was was Why Go. You know, starting off with Ed's chance and then you know kind of going off into a really strong performance. That's that's the one I thought really stood out. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Why Go was basically everything else felt like I had heard that version somewhere else, and Why Go definitely had some difference from other versions in 1992 like mike sounding really good ed doing those like very intense haze in the beginning and and i think that you know porch is a nice kind of runner up in this but yeah those are kind of your moments there and that seems to be it but now see we have this kind of thing as well on the Patreon episodes that we do, that we kind of start off at, what what was it, five? And then yeah, we kind of give points to certain yeah. things. You give like a, a point for everything that you thought kind of stood out. Are you going first this week or am I? I'll do it. I think I am okay. going first this week. Okay. But I'm going to say I'm going to give a point to Go, and I'm going to give half a point to Porch. So I'm at a 6.5. Okay. I'm going to be a little more generous. I'm going to give... A point to why go. I'm gonna give a point to to porch. I'm gonna give half a point for black and the improvs there. So I'm gonna go seven and a half. Hey, look, it's it's 1992, so it's not like 
six and a half means it was, but look, you have to think a lot of the times I'm thinking about like bootleg quality and things like that. So that all gets added into that. All right. Now, before we go, usually there is a Patreon spot in the show and it's going to happen right now because we have a lot of people to thank again for the second week in a row. Just just people are just gravitating towards this. And I think the people that have joined Patreon and also the people that are really paying attention to the Twitter updates and the Facebook updates and the people that have been relaying those shows with us as well are really in, you know, shout out to him and we hope he feels better. And, um, you know, unfortunately we won't have Aurelian going out to any shows anytime soon to relay to us, but he was just, he was a warrior going out there and doing that and helping us so much and helping you guys as well, because not a lot of information going out for this, but yeah, a lot of people messaging us and saying, just how amazing it's been to know what's going on and it it feeding a lot of people's Pearl Jam I don't want to say addiction but their thirst for it so yeah we'll we'll do that until every single show happens up until September so you can rely on us for that uh, let's thank some patrons and we're going to start with there are four bonus leg patrons and there's one gig leg this week we're going to start with John Schultheis I hope I pronounced that correctly, so thank you, John. Matthew Dyke, thank you, Matthew. Kai Hornung, who I believe has gotten into conversations on the Patreon already, so great to hear that, Kai. Thank you so much. Marcus Kunstner, thank you, Marcus. And I think a couple, at least like one or two of the people that joined were were German. So I think that they might have saw that we were doing the updates for like Berlin and Frankfurt and nice. and hopped in, which is which is great. Always great. love yeah. to to talk to people from all points of the world. We have some Australian donors. We have I think one or two from South America. We definitely have Aurelian down in France and a couple other people. We have a lot of UK people for sure. But yeah, it's just it's great to know that people are are into this all over the place. And the last person I want to thank is Roach from Jamily Matters. And this past week, he asked me to be his co-host. I'm like, yeah, sure, cool, great. And I didn't really know. He was kind of like, let's talk about the tour and let's talk a little bit about you. And I'm like, okay, that, that's fine. I know, I know both those topics. And it ended up being just kind of something that I felt like I haven't done in a long time. And that was sort of reveal a lot of my personal attachment to the band because on um, on the show there's really we're, we're doing shows that aren't necessarily stuff that we've been to i don't think we've done a show that either of us have been to in a very long time so to have that personal connection in there is is very difficult obviously we have personal connections of songs but we're usually kind of keeping it to like what happened and would you like and i think there was some point in doing the episode with him that i'm just like I'm opening up and I'm thinking about things that I never thought that I'd think about with this band. And, you know, I, I feel like we have told stories like that before, but recently probably less so because we're just so focused on the show content and, and kind of reliving the history. But it was, it was nice to be able to do that and to be able to kind of relive some of my own moments. So if that's something, you know, if, if you listen to this a lot and you're thinking about, oh, well, what are the hosts like? Then I definitely recommend it. It's on the Jamily Matters feed on, you know, anywhere, Spotify, yeah, Apple, uh, yeah, wherever I saw, they are. I saw it pop up. I'm going to check it out. 
Yeah, great. Yeah, that, that that's awesome. Yeah, just just a fun time talking to Greg, and he said a lot of very very kind things about us in there. And after the episode got posted, he decided he wanted to become a patron as well. So we thank Roach for coming in, and and that's just great. It's you know he was a friend prior to this, and you know I haven't heard from him in a while before he reached out, and it was just great connecting with him again. Since he's Gigleg member, we hope to see him on another episode very soon. He's been on one episode before. For way back when oh, pandemic was, was, was a good one. yeah yeah pandemic was really really early on so all right no yeah thanks to all our patrons that's amazing hope you guys get a chance to go back and check out all of the back catalog on there there's a lot of stuff to go back and listen to absolutely yeah it's just very exciting time right now with everything that's going on with the band so if you want to join Patreon, I'm not going to go into a full spiel this week. It's easy to do. Just go to patreon.com slash live on four legs and choose what you'd like to donate. Or if you want to give a hit over to live on four legs.com, which is just filled with content right now from following up on recaps and reviews of the shows and, and some fan reports that we have going on to other things like some memories and some moments pieces from certain locations that they've been. There's a lot going on, so definitely bookmark live on fourlegs.com and, and check out the Concertpedia stuff and anything else that we got going on over there. So, yep, Patreon, live on fourlegs.com. Mentioned it every week, so no different this week. And once again, thank you, everybody, for making this a great experience for us. Just you know, knowing that you guys are into this, just great. Makes us want to work harder, always. Okay, now we're at the end. We will say goodbye, but before we do, Mudfest is going to be next week. And if you don't know what Mudfest is, well, read between the lines. <laughs> you can kind of tell Mudfest, oh, probably has some mud. Yeah, that's that's what we're going to get a, into. In, the Woodstock 94 before Woodstock 94. Right? Yeah, like literally a year before that. Yep. Hey, where was Green Day this night, right? Yep. So we'll be back for that and hopefully you guys tune in and definitely if you have time, check out the video for that one first because then you'll understand a lot of what we're talking about. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already and I miss you always. Rate the podcast if you'd like, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just subscribe. Get us our subscriber numbers up. It always helps. Helps our visibility. That's all we want. That's all we need. Just do it. Help us out. Thank you so much for tuning in, and hope you had a great 4th of July. We'll see you next week for Mudfest. Remember, kids, Mark Arms sold out. Your love lifted me higher. No, I, I actually wanted to ask you a question. Like, what, what is your infatuation with penis? I don't know, it's it's like, kind of, I don't know, like ever since like third, second, third grade, every like dirty, malleable <laughs> body part of it. <laughs> Hello. Penis oh. is such a more dirty word than any of the seven dirty words. He can actually can pick up a cinder block oh. with his penis because he has a pierced penis. Vagina, anus. I want to pierce my anus. Can you say penis on TV? You can I think you can. Yeah, it's not one of the seven dirty words. You can say penis! They hang yes! big heavy balls from their penises. See, that's one of my constitutional rights that I really, really enjoy. <laughs> I'm so psyched about that. <clears throat> like third grade, we live. Kids, remember that. Mark Arm sold out. <laughs> nice penis. And you know